For those of you who don't know me, I, I think I know most people, but I'm Kelly Larkin, Jonas's wife, mama four, yeah, <laughs> give it up for Jonas, <laughs> no, just don't, don't really, don't, that's, aw- that's awkward, um, Jonas's wife, mama four, cold brew coffee connoisseur, let's be friends, so uh, I get the honor of reading scripture before message today, we're going to be reading in uh, Luke Chapter 23, 1 through 5, and then skip down and do 13 through 25. So join me in reading this morning. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, Jesus, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man, as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he answered them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for the opportunity to be in your presence. We pray, Spirit, that you would um, just fill this place, that through the preaching of your word, that hearts of believers would be um, convicted and challenged, and that those who don't know you as their Savior would just be drawn to you this morning. To speak through Jonas, Lord, um, pray for boldness, and we thank you for your word. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Love that woman. Yeah, yeah. She is my 10 years this June. So are we past the honeymoon period yet? I think that makes it. Okay. No? All right. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, you should already be in Luke 23, but that's where we're going to spend our time together this morning. And uh, we are in the third week of our series surrounding the cross, and we're inching closer and closer to... Uh, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection uh, in, in the weeks to come. And so, man, I got to tell you, 
the next couple weeks are going to be awesome. Let me give you what. I'm going to tease it, all right? Uh, next week, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, we are going to baptize five, five of our, our kids. Not our kids. I don't have five kids. I'm close, all right? Five of our kids as a church family. Uh, so we're going to have baptisms uh, next Sunday. Well, we can celebrate that, okay? Um, the reason I say that is, one, I want you to be excited about it, but here's what I would love. I would love for you to be here for it. Um, we, are, uh, we are a church family, and I think it would be such an encouragement to, uh, to the families, to these kids we're going to baptize, for them to know that, that there is a group of people that is for them, that love them, that support them, that encourage them, uh, that want to celebrate with them. All right, so uh, next Sunday, be here for that. Looking forward to that. The, the following Friday, all right, so not this coming Friday, but the Friday after that is Good Friday. Uh, we'll have our Good Friday service at uh, both campuses that Friday evening. Uh, would love for you to be here for that, for us to just kind of take a, uh, just a little bit of time to just sort of reorient our hearts and minds around uh, the significance of the cross, the significance of Jesus' uh, death in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. So that's Again, Good Friday, April the 15th. The next Saturday, the 16th, is going to be our community Easter egg hunt. Maybe you've seen the banner out front. Uh, I have, full disclosure, I have no idea what to expect that day. But here's what I do know, is that we've sent flyers uh, out to these schools over here, to the families, uh, or, or we will be, one or the other. And uh, if it's anything like the event we hosted back in the fall, the community event, it was a madhouse. And so... Uh, I'm just looking forward to mixling, mixling, mixing and mingling uh, with some of the families of our, uh, of our community. And so looking forward to that. And then the following Sunday, so that's two weeks from, from right now, we're going to gather together on Easter Sunday uh, and we are going to worship. We're going to celebrate that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that sin's power is broken, uh, that the head of the serpent has been crushed. All right, thought you might be more excited about that, but all right, we'll, we'll get you there. I got two weeks to get you there, all right? So that's where we're going in uh, the weeks ahead. But um, man, I'm, I'm like getting antsy about it. It's like, I don't know if that's good for you trying to listen to me this morning, uh, but that's, that's where we're going, all right? So anyways, back to where we are, all right? I, we're leading up to uh, the, the events of, right around Jesus' crucifixion, ultimately his resurrection, and, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but uh, sometimes all that's happening in that short span of time can be a little like discombobulating, a little confusing. And what I mean by that is, so a, a couple weeks ago we talked about Judas betraying Jesus, so, so we know that happened. But then there's like religious leaders that are involved. There's uh, like, isn't the Roman government involved in that in some way? So you got different people, different motives, all this happening that leads to Jesus' death on the cross. And so uh, to sort of reorient us about the, the sequence of events, the timeline that lead us up to uh, the text that Kelly just read, I'm going to try and uh, make a little bit of sense of that this morning. Uh, and, and just side note, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, uh, I would commend to you a book called The Final Days of Jesus by Andreas Kostenberger. Uh, it is fat. He takes all the different gospel accounts, sort of, puts them in linear fashion and gives like a day-by-day -day history of the last week of Jesus' life. 
If you're a nerd like me, that might interest you. If not, there's probably something on Netflix that's not as accurate. Okay. Um, anyways, so here's where we are. Luke 23. Uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that. We covered that a couple weeks ago. And so from that point, Jesus was handed over to, uh, taken into custody by some of the religious leaders of that day, which seems weird that religious leaders would have any sort of uh, ability to take someone into custody, right? But they did have some, some very limited uh, authority in that regard. And so Jesus is, is handed over to the religious leaders. They pulled together a council called the Sanhedrin, right? So think of kind of the elite religious leaders. And so they pulled Jesus into this and they begin to beat him, mock him. Ultimately, they charge him with blasphemy, right? He's claimed to be God. He's equating himself with God. That's a big deal to these Jewish religious leaders. And so they charge him with blasphemy, right? And because of that, they want to put him to death because of that charge, right? The problem is they don't have the authority to actually do that. As religious leaders, they don't have the authority under the Roman law to put Jesus to death. They can't execute him. So they devise a plan. We're going to take him to the one man who actually has the authority to do that. A man named Pontius Pilate, who happens to be our person of interest for today. So just so we're all on the same page about who Pilate is. Right, Pilate was the uh, governor of Judea from about A.D. 26 to 36. So about 10 years uh, as the governor over Judea. He was appointed by uh, the emperor Tiberius. If, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember his coin or his profile on the coin that, uh, that Shane showed to you guys on the screen. Uh, that's who appointed uh, Pilate to this position. Right? And, and as the governor over Judea, he would have had... Uh, authority to sentence someone to death like Jesus. All right? But the problem for these religious leaders is they bring uh, Jesus to Pilate. The problem is, is that they're seeking to put Jesus to death, but really he's not a criminal. Right? He, hasn't, he hasn't broken God's law. We know that, right? perfect, sinless Savior. He hasn't broken God's law, but, but even under the Roman authority, he hasn't broken the Roman law. Right? He's not a transgressor of the Roman law. He's, he's perfect, sinless in every way. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. The problem is, is he's not a criminal. And then on top of that, their charges against him were theological in nature. Right? They're not criminal, uh, civil charges. They're charges based on uh, what they thought about God. Right? Who, who they thought God was. Now, Pilate is a Roman governor. Pilate doesn't care about their theological charges against Jesus, right? Like it's, it's not even on his radar. He's a Roman governor. So they bring these charges to Pilate. Pilate doesn't care. So what they have to do is basically conceive this blatant lie to posture Jesus as a threat to the Roman government, which is what they do, right? Verse, look at verse 2, chapter 23. And they began to accuse him, Jesus, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. All right, so they bring three charges uh, against Jesus to Pilate. Right, the first thing they say is that uh, he was misleading the nation. 
Right? They say, this Jesus is misleading the nation. He's basically the equivalent of saying he's, uh, he's, he's working the people up towards some sort of uh, insurrection against the Roman government. Right? And, and what we know is that's not true. Right? At no point has Jesus uh, really given any hint that he's against the Roman government. Right? If, if anything, the Jewish people were upset, uh, or maybe upset's not the right word, the, the Jewish people were confused that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, and yet he uh, was not the political Messiah or the military uh, Messiah that they thought the Messiah would be. Right? Jesus, in, in a way, didn't quite measure up to what they expected the Messiah to be. So in, in no way has Jesus uh, positioned himself as misleading the nation, raising up an insurrection against the Roman government. All right, so the second charge, though, says that uh, not only is he misleading the nation, he's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Now, if you're here a couple weeks, you know that's a blatant lie. Right? A couple weeks ago, we, we looked at the passage where Jesus uh, tells the religious leaders that are trying to trap him in a, in a question, he tells them, no, you give to Caesar what's owed to Caesar. In other words, pay your taxes. Right? That's what is owed to Caesar. Give to Caesar what's owed to him. So we've got two charges, two blatant lies. Here's the third charge. Right? He says that uh, he is saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So the third charge they bring to Pilate is this man, Jesus, is claiming to be a king. Now here's kind of a, that's not a blatant lie, but it's, not, it's like a half-truth. Right? Yes, Jesus has claimed to be the Christ. He has claimed to be a king. But again, it's not the kind of king that would be uh, an, like an enemy or anti the Roman government. Right? Jesus is not positioning himself as an authoritative. Right? He's not positioning himself against Caesar. Right? He's not in opposition to the Roman government because his kingdom, as he tells Pilate in John's account, his kingdom is not of this world. Right? So you've got three charges brought against Jesus, two of them blatant lies, the, the other one kind of like half truth, right? Not, not totally a fair charge. So Pilate presses Jesus in verse 3. It says, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Right? So Pilate presses Jesus on the question, and, and Jesus uh, he, he doesn't deny that he's the king of the Jews, right? But he kind of answers it in such a way that it puts the burden back on Pilate. Right? And so Pilate's response then says, Then Pilate said to the chief priests, this is verse 4, Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Right? So this is a statement that's going to come up over and over and over again in this passage we just read, right? That, that Pilate, on my, my count, four different times says, Jesus isn't guilty. He's not done anything deserving of death. He hasn't broken the law, right? He, there's no reason for me to sentence him to, uh, to crucifixion, right? He's an innocent man, right? It, like this is the point that Luke makes really, really clearly. And if this were... Uh, merely like a first century legal uh, proceeding, then this should be the end of the story, right? Jesus presented, charged, he's tried, he's found innocent, nothing deserving of death. 
If this were a first century legal proceeding, this would be it. But like I said a couple weeks ago, there's, this is more, there's more going on here than just what meets the eye. Right? We, we know this. Right? There's things happening on a, on a physical plane, the things that are seen, right? the decisions of men, the, uh, the trials and proceedings, there's those. But then there's a, underneath all that is, is God working his good, perfect plan of redemption. And part of God's good and perfect plan of redemption is that uh, there needs to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice to pay for, to atone for the sins of the world. And so the story continues, right? Although Pilate declares Jesus innocent, that the crowd has already been incited, right? The, uh, the religious leaders actually went out and they're inciting the crowd, sort of the, the very thing they were just charging Jesus with, right? Creating uh, kind of a, uh, just some, some angst, right? That's what they're doing in, in the crowd. And so the crowd begins to get worked up uh, and, and they begin to cry out for Jesus to be crucified, right? They even ask Pilate to, to take Jesus, innocent, crucify him, and in his place release Barabbas, right? Barabbas was a, a prisoner, almost certainly on death row, for murder, government, like insurrection against the government. That's what you, you want like a little microcosm, vivid example of the gospel, that's it. That a sinless Jesus is, is taken into custody, sentenced to death in the place of a criminal, a sinner, deserving of death. And that guy gets to go free because Jesus takes his place. And that, that's what they, they cry out for. And so you can feel like the tension in this moment for Pilate. Right? Pilate is, is bit off. I mean, there, there's more going on here than, than he was ready for, right? He begins to feel that tension between, uh, you know, wanting to appease the crowd, but also his own sort of self-preservation, right? Pilate's got an image to uphold, and he's, he's the authoritative governor of Rome, not Rome, of Judea. He's a Roman official. He is... Uh, likely sort of advancing on his uh, promising political career, trying to keep that on track. And so in an effort to sort of ride the fence between administering justice, what he knows is right, and appeasing the crowd, he kind of chooses a half-hearted response. Look at verse 20. It says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Right? So you've got Pilate knows what is required of him. Desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. That should have been the end of it. But he's trying to appease the crowd. He says, I will therefore punish and release him. So, so Pilate's answer to sort of this tension to kind of save face but also appease the crowd is, I'll just punish him and then let him go. Right, still, this is not justice. This is him trying to, to save face, to maintain comfort and, and convenience for himself. But his half-hearted attempt at that, uh, his half-hearted compromise, not only is it uh, 
falls short of justice. It, it fails to appease the crowd. And it fails to appease the crowd because they go on and say this, verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. In the end, Pilate submits to the court of public opinion. It was was not justice that prevailed. It was the cry of the crowd that prevailed. Pilate surrenders to the fear of man, to the fear of losing uh, political power and influence, uh, to the fear of uh, derailing his, his sort of climb up the, the, the ladder of the, his political career. Right? He, he submits to, to the fear of man because he didn't want to put his, his future in jeopardy. Right? Pilate's concession reveals that he is motivated by, by keeping the peace, right? maintaining comfort, and convenience for himself at all costs. Right? Over and above what he knows, because he said it at least four times, what is good and right. right? In, in, in compromise and in cowardice, Pilate sentences Jesus to death by crucifixion. So, great history lesson, right? Now what do we do with that? How do we translate that, what all just happened here, into something that we like has handles on it for us to leave this morning? Right, that's what we're, we're really getting at. And to sort of turn the corner and get us moving that direction, uh, I'm going to read. Uh, this was in a book that I'm, I'm currently reading. It's called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Uh, again, if you're nerdy like me, you might enjoy it. It's, it's deep, though. So, again, look, look at Netflix. Um, Here's what John Stott, actually, I would commend the book to you for real. Here's what John Stott writes, though. He says, It is easy to condemn Pilate and yet overlook our own equally devious behavior. And then he gives some examples to that. Anxious to avoid the pain of wholehearted commitment to Christ, we too search for convenient gimmicks. We either leave the decision to somebody else or opt for a half-hearted compromise, or seek to honor Jesus for the wrong reason, or even make a public affirmation of loyalty while at the same time denying Him in our hearts. That's the danger for us. That's what happened to Pilate. Here's maybe a more straightforward way to say it. If we're going to claim... Say it this way, living a life surrendered to Jesus means you actually have to surrender your life to Jesus. It's, it's more than just like a it's more than just a, a verbal acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. It's more than just sort of mental assent that Jesus is Lord, He's in charge. It's, it's, more, it's more than that. Right? It, it's an act of volition, like it requires something of us. Surrender is, is an act. 
It is a verb. It's an action word. It requires us to, to lay some things down and say, I submit this in my life, all of my life, submitted and surrendered to you. Right, to, here's, here's the, Pilate was not a follower of Jesus. Right? So I don't want to create that confusion. As far as we know from the Bible, Pilate never surrendered his life to Jesus despite the fact that he said he was innocent of all this. But here's what Pilate did. Pilate knew what was required of him because of who Jesus was. And he punted on it out of self-preservation, self-interest. That's what Pilate did. And so the question for you and I is, how often do we know what is required of us, the response that is required of us, the, the act that is required of us, because of who Jesus is, and yet we, we punt on it because it's not comfortable, it's not convenient, right? It, it's, not, it's not what we want to do, it doesn't feel right. right? How, often do we, how often do we know what's required of us because of who Jesus is as Lord, and yet we fail to live under, live in submission to that. Because again, it's, it's easy to, to affirm Jesus as Lord, but not actually live under his authority in, in any meaningful way. So here's, I wrote down some ideas of what this, this might look like, things we might say. And, and let's be real, these are going to be things that we've all probably felt with some sort of tension before, if we're honest. Right? It's saying things like, I can't submit to Jesus' teaching uh, about priorities, because that might affect my, my relationship with my peers, my relationships with others, my friendships. All right, it's like, I can't submit to Jesus' teaching on, on power and influence, because that might hinder my ability to climb up the corporate ladder as fastly as I want to. Right, it's, it's things like, I can't submit to a, a biblical ethic on fill-in-the-blank issue because it doesn't align with what my political party of preference says. Right? It's, I can't submit to a biblical view on sex or sexuality because, man, I would be old-fashioned. Right? I, people might call me a bigot. Right? I, I can't submit to Jesus' warnings about the dangers of money and materialism because that might hinder my ability to live the lifestyle that I want to live. And, and the list could go on and on and on. There's as many different ways as we could, we could kind of look at that as there are people in the room. But the reality is, I man, those are, those are tensions that we feel because there's some things that Jesus requires of us that don't quite line up with what the world says we should be doing. Right? We, we would never say those things out loud, but we, we feel them. Right? There are just some aspects of faithfully following Jesus, of, of knowing what's required of us, right? that, that just should create some tension in, in the world that we live in. Right? Because we are citizens, as followers of Jesus, you are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Right? The kingdom is not of this world, is what Jesus told Pilate. So it stands to reason that if we're going to live faithfully as citizens of that kingdom, that there's, 
just going to be some tension whenever the kingdoms of this world say, this is how you should conform. Like, there's going to be some, some, some tension there. All right, and, and this, may, this may be unpopular. I'm, gonna, I'm feeling frisky, though, so let's go for it. This is why I, I don't think that the sort of the decline of cultural Christianity, where it's just kind of easy to be a Christian, I don't think it's a bad thing. I told you it might be unpopular. Right? Because the reality is, I think over time, what that's going to do, right? to live in this world where it's sort of increasingly unpopular to live uh, according to, to biblical standards, biblical ethics, what, what the teachings of Jesus, I think over time, when it becomes increasingly uh, difficult to live that way in this world, it's going to reveal some things. Right? It's going to reveal who actually believes this and who's just been kind of going with it because it's been easy or convenient or comfortable or uh, just, you know, sort of exist in that space because it feels safe. Right? That, I, I, that's why it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's going to reveal or it's going to separate who, who really is a citizen of, of heavenly kingdom and who's not. And I don't say that because not, not to build a wall between us. That's not what we're going for here. But if anything, it's just going to reveal, like, who do we need to reach out to? Right? Who, who's not really with us? That's what John writes in 1 John. There, there's some that, that went out from us because they were, they, were, they were with us, but they're not among us. I may have got that backwards. They were among us, but they're not with us. That's what it's going to reveal. Who, who actually believes this and who's just been sort of going through the motions? Right? And that's not a bad thing. So, so to bring this to application, to a point of application for us this morning, uh, I know I'm probably going long. We've got a couple of things to take care of here. There, there comes a point where because of who Jesus is, because of his lordship, because of his rightful rule and reign over our lives, there comes a point where we have to uh, go beyond simply acknowledging Jesus as Lord, affirming Jesus as Lord, and actually accepting it and living differently because of it. And so, so I want to give you a, a question to sort of consider this week. All right, maybe you need to... Write it down, just kind of think through it as you go throughout the week. And here's, here's my question. Where are you motivated by your own self-interest rather than submitting to Jesus' lordship over your life? And you could answer that question a million ways. And that's not my job to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you. Of where you might be uh, choosing what's comfortable, what's convenient, what feels right, what's popular, rather than what Jesus requires of you because of who he is. All right. So again, Pilate was motivated by some combination of fear of man, uh, fear of losing power and influence, Fear of uh, discomfort or inconvenience. 
fear of, of his, his career being hijacked. Right? Pilate existed in that space. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe it's not true for you. But, but what is it for you? Right? Where is it that, that you have to constantly deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Right? Where are you motivated by your own self-interest over and above Jesus' lordship? Again, I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting on that this week because I just believe with everything in me that, that the Spirit of God works uh, in places and spaces throughout the week, not just in the few minutes after a song on a Sunday morning. Okay, So I'd encourage you to, to just, just reflect on that this week. All right? Uh, but, but here's where I want to end our time together. Right? You, you guys see the, the elements here. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. But uh, to get us there, I want you to look at verse 25 of our text this morning. It says that Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison, that was Barabbas we heard about, for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So Pilate, remember, in compromise and cowardice, he thinks he's delivering Jesus over to the will of the people. And in one sense, he is. But remember, there's two different planes here, right? Because Pilate thought he was delivering Jesus over to the will of the people. Ultimately, he was delivering Jesus over to the will of God. Because here's what Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 53.10. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This is God's plan of redemption. This moment, this, this trial, this, this is not caught God off guard. He's not scrambling how to figure out, like, man, what am I going to do now? Right? This was part of his plan to save and redeem the world. Pilate may have sentenced Jesus to death, but, but ultimately, Jesus was, as Isaiah says, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's a song we just sang. By his stripes we are healed. All right, the, the elements here that we're going to receive here in just a minute, that's what they remind us of. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body beaten, broken for you and for me, for all who have trusted in Jesus as Savior. The blood, or this is not literal blood, sorry, that would be weird for us this morning, wouldn't it? The juice is a reminder of Jesus' blood poured out, shed for the forgiveness and the remission of sin. And so in just a minute, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song uh, about the cross. And, and we're going to, here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, come, receive these elements. Grab the, the bread, grab the juice, return to your seat, and, and humbly, with gratitude, but also with joy, receive these elements. Take them knowing that your sin, past, present, future, fully forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, if you've trusted in him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
Or maybe you're just like, I don't know. I've got some questions. All right, here's one. Thrilled that you are here. Right? I love that you are here. I love that you would be so bold and courageous to be like, I'm not really sure. Um, here's what I would ask. Just, just leave these here. Right? Because these, this is specifically for those who have trusted in Jesus. But, but if you're here and you're not a Christian or you just don't know, you've got questions, I would love nothing more than to share more about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus with you. And so leave these here now, and then you come see me after service, and I would love to talk to you about that. Would love to. All right, so would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. The band's going to come lead us in a song of response, and uh, you will receive the Lord's Supper whenever you're ready. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning um, just grateful. Grateful for the cross. I know it's We've emphasized it a lot over the last few weeks, but Lord, every, every day should be an uh, opportunity for us to, to remember and reflect on what you've done for us, how you've sent uh, Jesus to the cross to pay the full penalty for our sins, that there's, there's nothing left uh, for us to do. It, it's been paid in full. Lord, it's a, it's a gift. Grace is a gift that we receive. Forgiveness is, is received. Received by, by trusting that your death on the cross was sufficient. So we thank you for that this morning. Father, not only are you Savior, but you are Lord for all who have trusted in you. Which means that you have rightful rule and reign over our lives. And so, Father, where we have failed to submit to you in, in various areas and places and spaces in our lives, I pray, Father, that you would prompt us, convict us, uh, where we might repent, where we might submit to your good, perfect plan, your good and perfect will for our lives. Lord, help us to, uh, to acknowledge you as Lord, not just in word, not just in sort of mental assent, but in uh, the act, the acts of our day-to-day lives, so that we lived out in submission to you, because you are Lord. So Father, I pray uh, as we take these elements here this morning help us to do so with, with humble hearts, with grateful hearts, but also with joyful hearts because of the good news that our sins are forgiven, that death uh, has lost its sting. So we praise you. Thank you for the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.